Welcome to Nebraskanomics, where we help Nebraskans remove barriers to opportunity with policy research and legislative advice. I'm your host, Jim Vogel, CEO of the Platt Institute, a Nebraska-based think tank promoting policies that make it easier to get a good job, start a business, and help Nebraskans keep more of what they earn. If you want more economic freedom in Nebraska, then let's get started. Hello, I'm Jim Bokel. I am the CEO of the Platt Institute and host of Nebraskanomics, and we're happy to be joined today by Jonathan Williams. He is the chief economist and executive vice president for the American Legislative Exchange Council. Jonathan, welcome to Nebraskanomics today. Well, thanks for having me, Jim, and uh, greetings from the land of make-believe here in Washington, D.C. Well, the timing of uh, you coming on our podcast today is as appropriate. Yesterday was tax day here in Nebraska. I had a joint press conference with Governor Pillen and uh, leaders of uh, the legislature talking about the importance of lowering Nebraska's top rate and remaining competitive. You you recently and Alec recently uh, published the Rich States, Poor States annual report. Walk us through what that report is and why it's important and, and why you release it on a regular basis. Well, yeah, this is the 16th edition of the Rich States, Poor States report that we've updated annually and since 2008. And I was there from uh, from day one and we got really a project to collaboratively together with Art Lapper, Ronald Reagan's economic advisor, and Stephen Moore, a good friend at the Heritage Foundation. And uh, we wanted to put together a guide for state policymakers and Lincoln and the other 49 state capitals, but uh, moreover, a guide for concerned citizens and civic leaders and business leaders out there to say, you know, how does our state rank versus the other 49? And having a uh, that just nonpartisan, uh, we don't have a dog in the fight, a barometer how your state does when it comes to some important policy metrics and getting this economic outlook score that we're going to talk about uh, is something that and it's not just theory. I mean, this over the last 16 years has proven highly predictive of future economic success in the states uh, and some of our most competitive states in America in the rich states, poor states report that I know we'll want to talk through uh, are not uh, you know just there on the rankings. They are some of the fastest states for population growth for job growth, for overall economic success and well-being. And, uh, you know, that's one of the key takeaways is just, you know, our founders were very uh, wise to put together essentially this 50 trade zone, a uh, 50 state uh, free trade zone. You know, it used to be a 13 colony free trade zone, but now, of course, it's the 50 state free trade zone where states then need to compete on their merits of taxes and regulation and labor policy, you know, policies that we measure in rich states, poor states. And, you know, Jim, the other thing about the rankings that I think differentiate maybe rich states, poor states rankings versus as a proliferation of different ways that states are ranked against each other, that competition is inherently good. But our ranking are things that state policymakers directly control in their state capital and during their state legislative session. So they have the ability to, in a fairly short amount of time, we've seen states make great strides for the better and, of course, some for the worse. I was going to touch on this later, but let, let's dive into this now before we talk about Nebraska. I've had this job for over 10 years. You've been entrenched in tax policy. One of the greatest frustrations I have in Nebraska, Jonathan, is to hear a, from opponents of, of lower taxes saying there's no correlation between lower taxes and migration and economic activity. You've seen the opposite, right? Walk us through that. 
Well, and it's true, both from an academic perspective, there's been some great uh, peer-reviewed studies done on this at the Mercatus Institute at George Mason University and others. But, you know, we see it very practically in terms of the states that we've ranked uh, well in terms of being most pre-market competitive from a tax perspective, uh, regulatory perspective, and other economic policies, you know, do have a direct connection. There's a, there's a strong relationship with how a state ranks in rich states, poor states, and how uh, much inbound migration and job creation and economic growth they can expect over the coming years. And we've done the uh, work on that to show that. And we even had outside uh, a PhD economist come in and validate uh, the success of states after they ranked well. And, you know, it doesn't just have to be our rankings. I mean, one of the key takeaways is the states that keep tax burdens lower generally, but especially on income taxes, both personal income tax and business income tax is most of the, really one of the most important factors, two of the most important factors in the, in the study overall are those two different income tax variables that we measure in rich states, poor states, and to the extent of how uh, so-called progressive the tax system is. You know, this is one of the things we look at in, in the states that have a flat income tax, such as the five states in the last year alone, Jim, as you know, have become flat tax states, including your competitors there to the east and in Iowa, going from a very high rate personal income tax now over the next several years to a personal income tax of under 4%. Uh, that's a flat single rate attacks. And so uh, this is something that uh, the academic evidence shows is, is very beneficial for states, as well as our kind of learned experience over the last 16 years in rich states, poor states. And, you know, one of the stories I always like to tell about how important income taxes or taxes on capital are for economic growth is, uh, you know, you don't have to take conservative free market economist uh, Jonathan Williams' word for it. I want to use the case study of California just briefly, because generally we use California as a case study of what not to do. And of course, it turns out the case uh, here as well. But Gavin Newsom, their governor, uh, said something I thought really interesting the other day and said kind of the quiet part out loud that we've been talking about for a long time. He's been, as you've seen, uh, going around the red states now, trying to campaign for president, evidently, or something like that. But Gavin Newsom really uh, ran into this situation where in California, they had, uh, at least on paper, a $100 billion budget surplus that he was touting up until recently. And the new numbers came in at the start of the year. They went from a $100 billion surplus to a $25 billion budget deficit in California. California. So talk about a, a whirlwind of a, a change for budget uh, writers and appropriators there. And what did he pin the blame on? It was an overly progressive tax structure, more or less over-reliance on capital gains and dividend uh, uh, income and realizations, as well as California is the most progressive uh, income tax state in the country, relying more and more on high income earners. But of course, Jim, as you know, it's not just the millionaires and the billionaires that Bernie Sanders would like to rail against as wage earners. It is small business owners that file on the individual side of the income tax. And that's inherently one of the reasons why the personal income tax is so important from a revenue stability perspective, when you can get it down or eliminate it. And then from an economic growth perspective, it's just the evidence is very clear. Well, in Nebraska, that top rate starts at just over $30,000, and people forget that. They like to talk about how this is just for the rich and the millionaires and the billionaires. But in Nebraska, uh, it, it, it's impactful uh, at, a, at a relatively low uh, income uh, level for individuals and married couples. So let's dive into Nebraska now, uh, Jonathan, and, and tell us how Nebraska fared in this year's report and what factors went into that ranking. 
Yeah, so no, there's some not so great news, I think, is safe to say, and that's probably why you were doing the press conference to talk about, you know, how Nebraska can become more competitive. As you and I have talked for years, Nebraska is stuck at 36 in the economic outlook ranking this year in rich states, poor states. And it's been in the, you know, mid to high 30s there in a ranking for quite some time. But also, just as importantly, I think, in the neighborhood, so to speak, in the region, it's an outlier as the uh, the worst ranked state in kind of the upper Midwest and Plains region, where you have, you know, some of the states like Iowa, for instance, as I mentioned earlier, making some of the biggest strides uh, for pro-free market tax relief that we've seen anywhere. And while that doesn't quite show up in Iowa's score yet, because it's a phase in of their income tax cuts, I fully expect in the next year or two at rich states, poor states rankings, we're going to see Iowa rocket up from uh, the low 30s into probably the uh, the low 20s or potentially even the teens if they continue down their tax cutting uh, work. But when you look at the specifics for Nebraska here, a 36th overall, um, as we talked about, we have different criteria on taxes and, and regulation and labor policy is really the three big areas of economic competitiveness. We measure in rich states, poor states, 15 equally weighted factors. Uh, so the personal income tax, the business income tax in Nebraska, uh, two things that are well below average in our rankings with those top rates, just not competitive in the region, especially when you have South Dakota, uh, Wyoming is no personal, no corporate income tax states. Uh, there's competitor states as well. But Nebraska, unfortunately, has a personal income tax progressivity uh, issue as well as uh, ranking 43rd in that subcategory. As the penalty as people move up the income uh, ladder and become more successful, it becomes a more of a tax burden increase in Nebraska relative to other states that don't penalize that success of uh, you know earning additional funds or growing your business in the state. You know, we all know the property tax uh, problem. That's the, the burden there. Now you've had, I think, the wonderful experience, at least starting now with truth and taxation to really bring some honesty. I know you've been a real thought leader in that area to to talk about bringing real honesty to the debate around assessments and around the overall tax burden and who's driving the tax burden. Because folks in Lincoln, you know, get blamed uh, for you know, lo local spending decisions inherently are the driver of local property taxes across the country. And Nebraska is not any different there. So those are three things that stand out. Uh, you know, another one that is uh, really important, it doesn't raise hardly any money uh, overall from the broader perspective. I know it goes to local units of government, uh, but having the death tax still on the books with the inheritance tax, you know, that's a yes or no variable in rich states, poor states that weighs down Nebraska's ranking. Almost all the other uh, kind of purple or red states have repealed their state level death taxes years ago and had seen, in many cases, horror stories of high net worth individuals moving to potentially Florida anyways for uh, warmer weather. And at the same time, they're taking their tax residency with them and paying no personal income tax and having no death tax uh, upon turning over their estate to their heirs and their kids. Uh, and so you look at those are, I think, really the things that stick out the most. The other, I, you know, I know it's Nebraska is a little bit unique with public power and other aspects, but, you know, when you look at the public employees per population, uh, this is one of the things that we use really to measure as a proxy the size and scope of, of government. And this includes state and local employees. There's only uh, a few states in America that have more public employees per population than Nebraska does. And so, you know, I think when you look at the downsides, 
you know, those would be the biggest things that really stick out. There's certainly some upsides there. And why Nebraska is not in the bottom 10 when you look at, you know, some of the states that have been having the worst time over the last decade. Uh, but those are a few things I think that stand out for really uh, improvement uh, going forward. Well, I touched on this yesterday at the, at the press conference, and we've been talking a, a lot more about this at, at Platt here in the over the last year. The states that are doing transformative tax reform no longer look like states like North Carolina and states in the Sun Belt. There's states that look like Nebraska. Uh, you mentioned Iowa. Uh, there's Missouri, Kansas, North Dakota, and the list goes on and on. Dive into a little bit how Nebraska competes regionally in, in, in the Midwest. It doesn't sound like we're in, in, in very good shape in our ability to compete. Well, right. I mean, in short, Nebraska doesn't compete well right now when it looks at the policy metrics versus the other states in the region, especially with um, Iowa being probably the closest competitor uh, in the in kind of the, the bracketing of the 30 rankings there in rich states, poor states. We know that Iowa under current laws will dramatically improve in, in upcoming years. And given the, the messages coming from Governor Kim Reynolds and legislative leaders, I think they're just going to keep the, the foot on the gas and moving in the right direction there in Iowa. Um, in fact, they're considering truth in taxation right now to help with their property tax problems. And there's lots of other great policy proposals moving. I think probably the one or two states in the, the broader region that make Nebraska look relatively competitive would be Minnesota that's tanking uh, right now and seeing out migration for the first time. Uh, in many years, and, uh, one of the worst three states in the overall rankings. And of course, Illinois, which is a Midwesterner myself, I always considered Illinois as our greatest economic development partner for any other state in the Midwest. So you have those benchmarks kind of on the big government side, but everywhere else, and, you know, whether it's South Dakota and Wyoming with no personal, no corporate income tax, you have uh, Kansas that just passed a, I think, really transformational flat tax. Uh, we'll see if they have the votes to override a potential veto coming from their uh, governor there. Uh, you have Missouri looking to accelerate the triggers on their previously passed tax cuts. You have a little bit further to the south and east in, in Arkansas, but really amazing uh, both school choice and uh, tax cuts happening under Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And then, of course, you have Colorado that has transitioned politically but I think has still a strong economic environment because of flat tax of under 5% there in, in Colorado, as well as, as you know, Jim, uh, the gold standard of the tax and spending limit in their state constitution, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, that has limited the growth of spending and tax burdens in Colorado really to the rate of private sector economic growth over the last 30 years. So it's a, it's a very competitive neighborhood, so to speak, and that has some upsides and downsides, of course, to it. But I think it just sets the bar that much higher uh, for Nebraska to really go forward. And I know there's some great proposals being talked about in this session from Senator Linehan and others, I think would really change the future of Nebraska moving forward. Well, let's talk about that right now. What advice that you would have for legislators? Uh, the two uh, main tax bills, one on income tax and one on property tax. The income tax certainly includes both individuals and, and corporations. We bring that top rate down to 3.9% to at least compete and put us in the game uh, competing with, with Iowa. The property tax bill has some great components uh, that we suggested to the Pillen administration, actually taking property tax off the tax roll and replacing it with some state revenue. 
What advice do you have legislators that passed first round, it's going to second round here in the next probably couple of weeks. What advice do you have le to legislators as they continue to, to debate that and walk those bills uh, to hopefully the finish line? Well, you know, it's been great to see Governor Pillen uh, really have some strong leadership talking about the need to get income tax rates down and really understanding that competitive deficit right now that Nebraska has versus so many other states in the region. Uh, and having that leadership from the executive branch is, I think, going to be really key going forward. And then Senator, Senator Linehan, obviously, being a leader in this for many, many years and chairing the committee, very important. Uh, but when you look at the, I think, the experience that we're seeing right now, I mean, these are 50-year high surplus numbers uh, aggregated across the states. It's really only California and maybe New York and some other states that have figured out a way to even spend faster than the historic revenue growth coming in that have budget problems. You know, we expect some softening of that going forward because of the broader macroeconomic trends and some of the discouraging things we're seeing out of Washington, D.C. from a policy basis. Uh, but that being said, I mean, this is a time, I think, to go bold, right? I mean, this is uh, a time where states can leapfrog and become that much more competitive in a short amount of time, uh, as, we're, as we've seen in Iowa, we've seen in Arizona, for instance, as we've seen over the last number of years in states across the country, really doing transformational change, not just tweaking rates and, you know, becoming marginally more competitive. We're talking about game-changing policy decisions that will alter the course, not just today, but for our kids and our grandkids, right? And this is something that lawmakers have a historic opportunity, I think, to do now, to be bold, to get those rates down. Because at the end of the day, there's lots of different ways that you could try to make Nebraska more competitive. But based on our research, the most effective ways to do so is by getting the marginal tax rates down on business and personal income tax and addressing things like the inheritance tax on the books. And so what I've seen as an outsider from Washington, I've been in 20 states since the beginning of the year talking with legislators, is we are seeing a magic moment, I think, right now for economic competitiveness, enhancing tax reform and school choice. I mean, this is something that is really sweeping the nation. And I think, you know, the downside of not doing it, let's say, and the negative of this would be you could run the risk of falling even further behind just by standing still because of how aggressive states are being this year. Jonathan, uh, you want to talk about Utah? They got the number one ranking uh, in a report. Do you want to maybe close with uh, uh, describing what, what got them to that point and, uh, and why they're highlighted as number one in the country right now? Yeah, Utah is an amazing success story. I mean, they've uh, been at number one, not just this year, last year, the year before, but all 16 editions of rich states, poor states, Utah has been number one. And in fact, we launched the new rankings from Salt Lake City last week with Governor Cox and Senate President Adams and Speaker Wilson. And uh, it turns out when you rank a state number one, they invite you out quite a bit to, to launch rankings. Uh, you know, that being said, though, uh, Utah is had a incredible run at not just, you know, being at the top, but staying at the top. And, you know, that's tough. I mean, in the top 10 environment of states, when you look at the North Carolinas that you referenced earlier, or Arizona, it became a flat tax state of two and a half percent flat tax in the last couple of years under Governor Ducey and legislative leaders. You know, that is incredibly important staying power for Utah. And a few of the things that I always like to point to, because that is the number one question I get asked of every event is how in the world is Utah been able to stay at number one for over a decade and a half now? And, you know, one of those things is they became a flat tax state 15 years ago, uh, 16 years ago now. 
and they've continued to chip down the rates over time. They've been able to balance, I think, spending prioritization needs versus the tax relief. And that's inherently one of the important takeaways of rich poor states is you predicate all the good things you're doing on the tax side with important fundamental and prudent budget decisions of not overspending during the good times and, and during the bad times is not going back to taxpayers and asking for more and reprioritizing and making sure you're not raising taxes during a recession as well. And that served Utah, I think, extremely well. The Senate president there, uh, President Adams, has a bumper sticker in his office, I think, that embodies the Utah experience. And that is when the going gets tough, the tough cut spending. And that's been the motto of Utah, and uh, they've been able to do that extremely well. They were a pioneer in truth and taxation, as you know. They've had they were the state that started truth and taxation right. over thirty years ago, uh, and it became Alec model policy based on Utah. And uh, so it's that they've been way ahead of the curve. They've been way ahead of the curve on pension reform. Uh, that they've transitioned new hires into hybrid type accounts to uh, really uh, stop the bleeding when it comes to these massive unfunded pension liabilities that plague states all across the country. Nebraska is ahead of the curve there, too, on the cash balance, of course. But, you know, uh, Utah has done that. They've looked at uh, Financial Ready, which is a program that I know you know well, you've talked about. It's really important to say if and when the federal government reduces aid to the states in this era of $32 trillion now almost in federal debt. Now, what will you do about it? How do you analyze these so-called free federal dollars coming in to the state and make sure that you're you're not setting yourself back by accepting the dollars and then being beholden to these maintenance of effort requirements and other costly federal regulations by accepting the dollars? So those are just a few of the things. Uh, but Utah has been so innovative, I think, and ahead of the curve for free market fundamental reforms. It may not be the flashiest state like some of the other states that have moved up very quickly over the years, but they've plotted along. They've been very cautious and prudent at the same time, but they continue to make important progress and they just don't make mistakes. And that's the other, I think, really important thing about even, you know, sports champions, right, is, you know, you just don't make those unforced errors. And Utah has been very good at continuing this progress and not making the big policy mistakes. Well, you touched on a, a couple of things that I want to close with, and I'll give you the, the, the closing last words here. Can't do long-term sustainable tax relief without controlling your spending. And the second thing is, is my advice to legislators, and you echoed it, if we don't take bold steps to move forward, we're going to fall further and further behind regionally and, and across the country because other states have figured out lower taxes keeps you in the game. You see economic activity, affects your migration. And I've, I've held this job for over 10 years and I've watched transformative tax reform all across the country. Well, now it's hitting the Midwest and has the last few years. And it's, a, it, it's critical and time sensitive that we continue to push this legislation forward and codify these uh, lower rates uh, for, for Nebraska taxpayers. Jonathan, uh, any closing remarks here on our podcast, Nebraskanomics? Well, no, just uh, best wishes to all of our friends in Lincoln for continuing to move the ball forward on these big picture ideas. Thank you, Jim, for your voice and Platt Institute being such an important partner for good free market policy in Nebraska and just a partner of ours. And, you know, to sum up our 16 years of, of research and uh, traveling to 50 states, you know, having been in Lincoln earlier this year, I think you can sum up our work in that states like Nebraska should strive to be more like Utah and less like California and New York. That's the one sentence uh, summary of our 16 years of research. 
Well, Jonathan, thank you for your work on rich states, poor states, and being a, par a partner in the, in the tax-free free market movement and, and for liberty. And thank you for being my guest today on Nebraskanomics. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want more economic freedom in Nebraska, please visit platinstitute.org to make a donation to help fund our research and advocacy. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter and learn about today's most important issues facing Nebraskans. It's time to stop the status quo. Let's remove economic barriers and make Nebraskans proud.